Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sheila Scheuger and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to high performance coach and author Enda McNulty. So success for me is zero to do with how much money you've got. Once you can pay the bills and raise your kids and pay for your family and friends and a basic lifestyle. After that, the research tells us about the other things in life that make us happy. Are we aligned with our purpose? Are we doing something every day aligned to our strengths? Are we doing something that we're incredibly passionate about? I'm a bit like you, Sheila. I'm unbelievably passionate about what I do for a living. My good friend in life is the associate director globally of Riverdance, Patrick Moyles, and he says he never worked a day in his life. Mm. I, I literally can't say that I've worked a day in my life because I love what I do, and I would nudge everybody else to think about that. Is what you're doing today what you love doing, or could you course correct in the next couple of years and reskill yourself and reboot yourself? Enda is married to Julia, and they live in Dublin. And when he played football for Armagh, he won an All-Ireland medal and an All-Star award. Now he's regarded as one of the top performance coaches and leadership experts in the country, having worked with the who's who of business and sporting leaders over the past 25 years. His second book is Commit to Lead, and it's out now. And in this conversation, he talks about finding true success in life and how to become a leader the power of reinvention and how he and his family used to holiday in my home village of Spittle in Connemara. Here it is. And it's great to meet you in person. It's a complete pleasure. I've been listening a lot over the last few weeks to try and get a sense of your listeners and your speakers. That one about not giving a feck, I have to say. That yeah, was she's incredible. Cool. Absolutely incredible. And of course, the Ian yeah. Robertson one was intriguing. So tell me about Ian, because um, is it true that you you guys know each other? Like you've done some work with Ian. I think 10 years ago, I went to a gig at Trinity University uh, and it was about confidence and it was about how you handle stress and so on. And I sat on the front row going, I'd love someday to have the bravery and the confidence to ask that man kind of a cup of coffee. It took me 10 years to be brave enough. Really? Uh, I was involved with Ireland Rugby at the time and I, I asked Ian, would he give me some, let's say, different perspectives on the brain and what happens in the brain when we're under pressure and we're in that peak state. Uh, eventually he had the bravery to do it. I reached out to him. I think it took me maybe three years after I reached out to him uh, to eventually to get that meeting and that first meeting was like education on steroids I, mm. he talks about that lovely concept as you know from the brilliant podcast he's done with you Sheila he talks about simple concept of an operating manual for the brain yeah. wouldn't that be brilliant that every uh, child is taught to have an operating manual for the brain every little girl every little boy what a unique skill set for life yeah big time 
straight away, like we're only talking mere seconds and you've already let us in. You're you're already showing vulnerability. And that's what I find fascinating about someone like you, because you um, you run a really successful business. A lot of people speak incredibly uh, positively about you and the impact you have on them, uh, be it in the sporting world or the corporate sector. Um, and yet you're you're saying that, you, you know, you have your own struggles. Absolutely. I, I think, to be honest with you, Sheila, a few years ago, I was terrible at that. Right. I was terrible at showing vulnerability. I was absolutely brutal at showing more the humanity and the uh, being a normal human, to be really honest. And something fascinating happened. I was getting some coaching on my communication skills. I've got a lot of coaching in the last 25 years on that. And I'm, I'm getting coaching again this Monday on it again. Yeah, uh, brilliant. And always improving. Always improving. And as you know, when you're doing live gigs and you're doing loads of podcasts, when you communicate for a living, yeah. I guess we've got a, a responsibility to always sharpen the saw. And I need to sign up to one of those. <laughs> you're you're I, away I do. me. No, no I do. I do. <laughs> uh, and, and what happened was this, this particular coach said to me, and uh, you're showing none of yourself. You're showing no vulnerability whatsoever. You're boring. You're dull. What? He was right. And he, he hit me right between the eyes with it. And he said, and if you don't show more vulnerability and more of yourself and really open up, nobody's going to want to follow you. Nobody's going to listen to you. And nobody is going to actually uh, care what you're saying. I tell you what, it was a big wake up call. Now, we know that Brené Brown, that amazing American yeah. leader, speaks about that concept of vulnerability. And now vulnerability is a superpower. Mm. But practicing that, as you know, Sheila, is a different story. Yeah. Practicing it at home, and I still find that very difficult. Practicing that at work, practicing that even with our family and our friends, it's incredibly difficult. I think men need to learn a lot more from women about vulnerability, about emotional intelligence, yeah. about that lovely, soft leadership style. And I think that the leaders of the future in all organizations, whether it's, and I know a mutual friend of ours, Joanne Byrne, would talk about whether you're leading in the Tidy Towns competition in Carlingford mm. uh, or whether you're leading, let's say, a group of ladies in theatre uh, doing surgery on baby's eyes. That emotional intelligence, that vulnerability, that lovely soft leadership style, I think it's just incredibly important. And now even in those, let's say, very fast paced, almost alpha male or alpha female environments, those skills are also now uh, even more important. Mm. So it's not a nice to have. It's actually essential. Yes. Because you're not going to get the best out of your people unless you're able to show that vulnerability. Emotional intelligence. Exactly. Because mm. if you don't open up, they're not going to open up. Yeah. So that's that's the really important key point that it's not it's not oh you know it's cool to be vulnerable. Well, that's inauthentic, and inauthentic leaders won't last. Yeah. It has to be authentic. You're open and up because actually it's the right thing to do. It's the right time in the right way. And by the way, there's sometimes there's the wrong time to open up. Mm. It sometimes is the wrong person to open up to because yeah. you don't trust them. Yeah, yeah. It's it, they, they'll actually you know manipulate manipulate it exactly. Yeah. Sheila, exactly. Yeah. So for you, going from that conversation and him saying, no, it's it's not good enough, you're not showing anything of yourself, has it been hard work yes. to, okay, it has. Of course, and it's still hard work. Right. I remember reading one time about Paul Newman, he said about acting, that acting for him was as difficult as dredging a river. And that every time he went acting, and he's one of my famous, uh, most favorite actors of all time, yeah. that he still felt, even in his 60s and his 70s, he was still feeling like he was dredging a river. In other words, it never felt second nature to him. Interestingly, he said that uh, driving a racing car, that's what he felt most natural at. Right. So even before I came in today, very openly, I was doing my affirmations, I was doing my vocal warm-ups, I was doing my confidence exercises, I was getting myself in the right mental and emotional state. I still have to do that. This morning I was running in the Phoenix Park for about an hour, again getting myself in the right state, because I want to make sure, like your listeners are predominantly women. Mm. They're go-getters. They're women. They're mummies. They're people that are making it happen in their business. They're people that are happening in their town, that are happening in their organization. Or maybe they're trying to make it happen for themselves. So if I'm not in the right state, they can hear that. They can notice that. They can smell it, so to speak. So I still have to work unbelievably hard at that. And I'm okay with that. Mm. Well, well, I appreciate the efforts and uh, the preparation that you've put in. Um, I don't know many guests who would prepare to that degree um, and 
you know, it's very flattering, actually, not just to me, but to those listening that you would care that much to put the work in. Um, if you hadn't done that and you just said, I'm going to wing it, do you feel like you would have arrived here today at different end? It's interesting you, you mentioned the word there, cure, Sheila. So nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. So nobody's going to, who's going to follow a leader that doesn't care? Why would you possibly think of following them? So whether that's somebody, there's a lady down in Galway I want to really call out. Her name is Sinead Cassidy and she leads the sales and marketing for the Galway races. Now, wow. What a woman. She's fab. What a woman. So if she hears me ill-prepared, she's going to put the bloody podcast off. She's going to switch it off. He doesn't care. So why would somebody possibly listen to us, any of us in the world, for more than 10 minutes if they think we don't care? Mm. Because there's so much messages from so many amazing bloody people. I'd switch off the YouTube. I'd switch off the podcast. I'd switch off the TV. I'd put the newspaper down if I thought that person on the other side of the mic or the pen or the book Mm. didn't really care about me. Why would you bother listening to them? Yeah. But speaking of the book, you're here because you've just released your second book, Commit to Lead. Um, were you always, were you a born leader yourself? No, of course it wasn't. No way. Are I, any of us? I don't think so. Right. I don't even think. It's I was, cultivated. I, I was in Florence last week uh, with my wife, Julia, and I was just amazed. If, if you want a, an exercise in being humble, just go to Florence and go and watch what Michelangelo did many hundreds of years ago. <laughs> go and see what Da Vinci did. If there's anybody listening that has any arrogance, just go to Florence for a week <laughs> and it'll soon knock the arrogance out of you and it'll soon knock the ego out of you. So am I a natural born leader? No. I've worked relentlessly hard at it, Sheila. I still have to work relentlessly hard at it every day. In my own company today, there's changes and there's choppers, chops, and there's people leaving, there's people coming in and we're still trying to make an unbelievable impact on goal the charity so I still have to work at that unbelievably hard mm. but I'm okay with that so for leaders listening it's okay to know that you have to work it's a craft you can't become a great singer or piano player or sculptor or maybe artist unless you're working at it every day leadership mm. has to be worked at every day I guess it's like parenting I'm not a parent yet I know you're a parent of two beautiful little kids I know for sure that please be to God in the next six months when a little baby is born. Oh, congratulations. Wonderful. I didn't realise. Yeah, first little baby on the way. And we've been through. Oh, fantastic. We've been through unbelievable. Talk about vulnerability. It's Julia, my wife, that I have to say total respect because what she's went through on this journey to become pregnant is just total respect. It's amazing. And for anyone listening who has been on a fertility journey, and I know, you know, I've I've been I've been there myself. I know it's not always an easy path. Um, I'm I'm really happy to hear that for mm. you because it sounds like it's been it's been quite the road. Mm, unbelievable. So again, talk about respect for women. I just cannot even estimate how difficult that is for the woman. It's difficult for the for the man in the relationship, obviously the husband, but for the women, it's just incredible. Yeah. I'm so glad. That's great. Six months time. Life has got to change. Yeah. In a big way. Really excited. And again, talking about leadership. So you were asking me about uh, our leaders born or made. I I think becoming a mum or a dad, surely that's the most important thing we're ever going to do as a leader in our lives. Mm. And and we talk about that a lot in Commit the Lead. It's about, because if you can give that young child from age zero to age six an unbelievable uh, foundation stone in life, is that not the number one leadership task in life? Mm-hmm. So I'm very passionate about that and I'll tell you why because I was blessed and my sisters and brothers all had the same upbringing that we had an incredible uh, upbringing from age zero to age six mm-hmm. and I think that's the making or breaking phase and I think in Ireland we've got a brilliant opportunity in that and around the world the Irish have a big opportunity to make even more impact on people's lives age zero to six because if the age zero to six have been done very well the rest is comparatively easy. Mm. And maybe a little vignette in that. I remember going to meet Father Peter McVeary, the man from inner city Dublin that's working yeah. with drug addicts and obviously alcoholics his whole life for the last 55 years. Talk about a leader. Mm. I would hold him up as a leader. But I went to interview him Absolutely. and I said, uh, Father, he's from the same local area as I'm from at home in, in Armagh and down. He's from Newry. And I said, Father, what motivates, what drives you? And he said, helping those people who are the drug addicts or the alcoholics drives me. And then he says, let me turn it around and I'm going to ask you some questions. At what stage do you know somebody's going to be successful in life? 
So I guessed. I said, well, I'd say 21. He says, no, guess again. And I, oh, I said, okay, maybe 16. No, guess again. Oh, maybe 12. Maybe after National School or Primary School in the North. He said, no, go again. I said, okay, maybe six. No, go again. He says, what about the christening, Enda? If at christening, their mummy's a drug addict and their daddy's a drug addict and they're from a homeless accommodation and their dad's been on heroin his whole life, how successful do you think that young kid's going to be in life? Mm-hmm. So in other words, a lot of us on this podcast, if we're keeping it real, let's realise that we're unbelievably lucky. Yeah. And they've got a moral responsibility, therefore, to make sure that young kids are given the opportunity to have the basic leadership skills, like confidence, and Ian Roberts will talk about that, on keeping it real, yeah. uh, like their self-esteem, like their self-worth, like their self-belief. So for me, they're the fundamentals of self-leadership. Yeah. And self-leadership, that's, you know, that's a big part of, of the book. It's kind of divided into two sections about becoming empowered yourself and leading your own life and then how that can translate to others, which is a really interesting way of doing it. Um, for us to to maybe find out how we can be a leader and what area we should be a leader in. How do we go about that? Well, I think going back to your previous point about leading self first, think about your purpose. And nobody listening is going to stop the car and pull over the side of the road, maybe in Spittle or maybe it is in Manhattan. And they're not going to pull over to say they and say, I'm going to work on my purpose now. I, I think we have to slow down when we're thinking about purpose and we have to really reflect on it. I would strongly recommend having a journal that you're going to have with you for the rest of your life. In my apartment in Dublin with Julia, and she'll, she'll be livid at me for saying this, <laughs> but it's full of books. And a lot of the books are books that are read about leadership or self-esteem or self-worth or self-confidence or business or marketing or sales or whatever it is, any walk of life. But also there's books in there that I've written myself. Marcus Aurelius wrote that amazing book, Meditations, and mm. the book was meant for himself. So I've got uh, actually a, a bag here with me today. My, and in the bag, I've got an example of what I would try and do on a daily basis. I'd be writing notes to myself. Right. Little, little ideas and things to myself, whether it's planning what I'm going to do with my family, my personal things, and then what am I going to do, obviously, from work. Yeah. But all of that is underpinned by what, what do I want to do? What, what's my purpose in life? Yeah. Because if we know our purpose from a leadership point of view, it makes life so much easier. I think the best leaders in life are unbelievably blessed to know their purpose. And that means if you know your purpose, it's a bit like driving back down the road to Spittle tomorrow. Mm. You know your destination. You know where yeah. you're going towards. So if somebody stops the car halfway down and says, come on, let's head towards Cork. No, no, I'm going to Galway. What are you talking about? I'm heading to Spittle. I'm going to Galway. I'm going down the Galway road. Mm. So if we're starting to help people understand how to become a better leader, I think start with your purpose is incredibly powerful. And if somebody's going, but what is my purpose? I mean, I'm kind of in a job and it's grand and, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm tipping along and life is OK and my bills are being paid. And, you know, there's a lot about my life that's good and other things that are maybe hmm, need work, but I'm not really sure what my purpose is. I'm just imagining somebody who might be listening who's going, I've never really, I've never really thought about it. Like, it's, what time. Is it? it's time to think. About yeah, OK. And for you you've obviously been thinking about your purpose or living your purpose for many years because, you know, it's... it's, it's trying your, to. Yeah. Trying to. Trying to, yeah. Not, not, not I, I don't think there's anybody listening could say they've lived their purpose all day, right? Even the Buddhist monks couldn't yeah, yeah, say of they've lived their purpose. It's constant work. I, I think a great example of, of an Irish lady who's the epitome of somebody who's crystal clear in her purpose. I think Katie Taylor is the mm. best athlete in Irish history, bar none. She's crystal clear in her purpose. Uh, I'll give you another good example. There's a lady called Siobhan Walsh. She's the global CEO of Goal. Mm. And her team, the one that were in uh, Syria and Turkey, they lost 30 people in the unbelievably difficult earthquake about six weeks ago. When you meet her, her purpose and her passion shine out of her eyes. It's incredible. So for people that don't know their purpose, that's okay. They don't need to know it now. But I would ask them, or maybe nudge them, over the next, let's say, 90 days to six months, carve out a little bit of time just to reflect on that. Carve out a time where there's no mobile phone, there's no Instagram, there's no radio, there's no uh, TV. Get away into the quietest place that they love uh, to reflect. And I bet you they actually know their purpose if they allow it to come to the fore. 
Yeah. And purpose is the thing, what's their raison d'etre? What's the thing that more than anything else they want to achieve in their life? Is it to be a brilliant mommy? Is it to be a brilliant wife? Is it a brilliant husband? Is it to be a brilliant daughter? Uh, and it's amazing if you actually reflect and ask those big questions. It's amazing that most people would at least have a draft and then keep working on that draft. I, I've worked on that draft relentlessly now for nearly 15 years. Mm. And it's about inspiring people to be the best version of themselves. That's family, that's friends, that's community. As people listen to this podcast, it's inspiring them to be the best version of themselves. But I can't inspire them if they don't think that I'm trying to do it myself. And I mean trying. There's no day I would ever give myself a hundred of a hundred, no day in my life to date. But I'm trying to get better mm. at being the best version of myself. A lot of people in um, in the sporting realm will, you know, give you a lot of credit for the work that you've done, you know, for the likes of, um, you know, Leinster Rugby, the Irish Rugby team um, in particular. That time when you were working with alongside Joe Schmidt, what was what was that experience like for you? Great question. Joe Schmidt demands the absolute best of you every day. And I love that. I love when you walk into the environment in the morning, you know you have to be on it. Mm. I love when you beat the All Blacks in Chicago and you're lucky that on the way home on the plane that Joe Schmidt's sitting in the seat behind you and you get a chance just to watch him and how he reacts to beating the All Blacks for the first time in Irish history, yeah. he did not close his eyes for a blink during that flight home from Chicago. Right, okay. All the rest of the players, the staff, of course, they were snoozing. But even more importantly, how he literally sprinted in the door to Carton House after getting off the plane to prepare the team for the game the following weekend, which I think was against Canada. To see his mentality, his incredible attention to detail and his accents and the staff. So it was amazing. By the way, very powerful ladies in that backroom staff as well. People like Nicola Pendergast, people like Sinead Bennett, Ruth Gilmartin. Ladies that were running the show behind the scenes. So what was it like, Sheila? It was an honour. Uh, it was very humbling. And to be honest with you, I put it in perspective. There's a lady that contacted me maybe 10 years ago. She's doing surgery on baby's eyes. What's more important, conducting a surgery on baby's eyes or passing rugby ball? I'd put it in a bit of perspective. So mm. I love rugby stars. I love sports stars. I love golf stars. I love GA stars. I love what's happening in camogie and football and all those sports. But let's have a bit of perspective. I think sometimes, unfortunately, there's not equality in terms of the recognition that people get in different walks of life that aren't sports stars yeah, yeah, or yeah, insta stars yeah. so yes they're phenomenal people but I don't see them any more phenomenal than my mother who spent 50 years of her life teaching yeah point very well made um, so uh, I'm just trying to I'm going to go back again a little bit if that's okay I'd love to go back to you as a kid because it does sound like <laughs> you had very open minded uh, parents who were very encouraging uh, a funny, really funny, unbelievably lucky upbringing, Sheila. Unbelievable. Uh, loads of things happen way outside of my control. Ian Robertson talks about a secret ladder. I think it's his wife actually gave him that idea. Secret ladder being that anybody who's made anything of their lives, something happened in their early lives that's made a huge positive impact in their formative years. So in our early life, I remember vividly playing football with my sister, Emer. Mm. who's now teaching in a school in Dundalk and she's hugely passionate uh, about teaching young kids. She's actually the VP of the school in Dundalk. Playing football at the front of the house, soccer with her and uh, battling with her and vice versa. Uh, my mum at that stage would have been an avid supporter of Seamus Manlon and John Hume on the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. And 25 years on, obviously in the last few weeks, yeah, uh, it's a very proud time for her and her colleagues that very quietly and unbelievably persistently believe that peace could get done. So as a little boy, my mummy wouldn't have been very, let's say, and uh, I'm going to look after you all day every day. I reared myself. Mm. But we were brought up in an environment on a little small road on Sleeve Gullion uh, in Armagh where the neighbours help raise us. Isn't there an old phrase, it takes a village to mm. raise a child? Yeah. So in that village, there was an unbelievable old lady called Mrs. Dooley who had lovely compassion and emotional intelligence. So after school, I didn't go home. I went to her house. And she looked after me and Emer and Sarah and my brothers and sisters and so on because mummy was busy. Mm. 
Yeah. She was a very busy teacher. She was running an English department in one of the busiest schools in Northern Ireland. She was dealing with all the political uh, challenges, the bomb attacks, the murders, and trying to find a way to get people to reason to get peace. Talk about leadership. Yeah. She was also a social entrepreneur, her and a group of other ladies, all ladies on a board, 30 bloody years ago in South Armagh, saw this beautiful old courtyard on Sleeve Gullion that they thought, this is completely dilapidated. We're going to find funding uh, to refurbish this courtyard and bring women involved with this project and complete the project and give women jobs and get women to chair and be the only board members. Uh, and today in Sleeve Gullion, that courtyard is still running, still fully operational. There's some men on the board. So she was incredibly busy. So she basically said to us, Ray yourselves, go and do what you have to do. There was no Oh, and uh, you better get your homework done. If you choose not to get your homework done, that's up to you. Right, okay. Uh, and they go to football training. Well, no, go. If you want to go, go. If you don't want to go, don't go. And they go to school. If you don't want to go to school, don't bloody go to school. So very early in life, I don't know how she knew that. She taught in Toronto for a while with my daddy. And I think that the Canadian system at that stage, from an educational point of view, was much more mature. Yeah, And I think they were inspired about things like positive psychology. Uh, it was interesting you say that because I, I actually saw something recently, a video recently, um, a psychologist speaking about the very thing that you're just talking about is about, you know, kids who are defiant in the morning and you end up perhaps being late dropping them to school. And this psychologist was, was advising that basically you put the ball back in the kids course. And if they're late, well, then they have to explain to the teacher why they're late. Absolutely. And that it's so actually your mother was, you know, obviously doing the the right thing by empowering you to kind of take that personal responsibility from an early age. And still she would say that, you know, she she always laughs and giggles now that she wouldn't have been there after I was winning a game of football to give me a big hug afterwards or sit me down and say, Enda, you're amazing. Never would have been like that. But would have been unbelievably strong, I guess, at challenging me. And I'll tell you on the challenge... On, on the real basics. Right. And I think in Ireland, I think we need a bit of a wake-up call because on the basics, her manners are exemplary. She's now in her mid-70s. Unbelievable. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Of that. I would never, and I'm now 46 years of age, in my entire life, that somebody would have come into that house or left our house in Armagh without courtesy, unbelievable friendliness, unbelievable cure, unbelievable support and love. Never in my entire life and I don't it doesn't matter what the hell's going on yeah. I've lost an unbelievable big game it might be my dad's coming home from the bar with a few bottles of beer a few drams on him whatever it is my mum would never have it excusable that a neighbour would come in or somebody come in who's really struggling in the community that they weren't treated like they were going to the Ritz Carlton never so mum taught us those basic leadership skills that I think unfortunately in schools and organisations and society we forgot about and mm. I think we've got cocky again we've got complacent again our courtesy and our basic manners I think need a significant uh, improvement if Ireland's to continue to be competitive on this island and around the world yeah because now I'm understanding why at the beginning you're saying you know how much you prepped for this podcast because it's been ingrained in you I suppose to um, to give everything time and energy and respect mm. That's obviously been an important factor all your life. Um, have we changed? Because obviously we have changed through through the pandemic. Like, you know, it had a big impact on us. What do you see through your work now? Um, what do you think have been the biggest changes? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that we need to sharpen up on again, old school communication. Mm. And the amount of female and male leaders that are coming saying, you know, I really want to connect with my people again. I really want to build that trust again that what's been happening on Teams meetings all around the world that people are on the Teams meetings and below that they're sending Slack messages to their colleagues. I can't believe she just said that. So the psychological safety that we know for sure is a fundamental of high-performance teams. And we know there's loads of research from the Aristotle study on that. But people are now craving more than ever for real communication real connection real meaning real cohesion real sense of spirit I'm sort of a wee bit sick of the uh, the phrase the water cooler mo- uh, moment I think they're craving for connection 
They're craving for somebody to sit down and have a face-to-face chat, no mobile phone in the room, no mention of teams, sit down and have a chat yeah. and be open, first of all, before we get into the agenda. To really connect with the person before you say, oh, well, actually, today we need to talk about uh, this next big event we have or this next week in this public sector body. Old school, authentic communication. That has been lost a lot, hasn't it? I mean, even now, and, and, and while it's wonderful and, you know, the the advantage of technology is that you can have a meeting online with somebody in different parts of the country or different parts of the world, and it is wonderful, but we have we have lost that. I, I've, I mean, I felt it myself that it's, it, you're not having the face-to-face meetings as much as, as we did pre-pandemic. I totally agree. I think of, and, and actually it's funny, I was f- trying to find out a little bit about Sheila before I come on today. Right. And, and as soon as I read about Spittle, I connected back to, again, you're asking about childhood. My childhood, all of us, our favourite time was going to Spittle. Yeah, so just for those listening, this is this is what you were sharing with me before we were recording. And it's, it's I mean, who knew? It's, I love it. I have met so many people who have gone on their holidays to Spittle. So yeah, tell me about that. So we used to go to Westport. We'd, we'd leave Armagh in an old banged up Reynolds 18 or maybe 19, whatever the hell it was called. But it was banged up. And there was a caravan in the back of it. And we'd head off, we'd stop off in Wimpy in Westport. And we might stay there in the gypsy caravan for two nights or three nights, and then we'd have a spittle. Yeah. And in spittle, mum and dad always, the reason they went to spittle, and it's all about serendipity, they met, and when they were in their, let's say, in their 20s, they met an amazing man called Hank McCran mm. and his wife, Sheila McCran. And you're talking about communication. I almost remember Sheila's communication yeah. and her warmth and her authenticity. I think there's something about the West of Ireland women. Their authenticity is shining, like Shania Cassidy mentioned earlier on. Yeah. So mum and dad uh, were driving along the road one day and Hank and Sheila were thumbing a lift. And again, because of their natural generosity and, I guess, understanding about how to really connect with the community, they picked both of them up and have a lifelong friendship. Hank died tragically a couple of years back. Uh, But we would go there and we'd park the caravan up at the pier in Spittle. And the whole week they would be fishing or into the sea or trying to obviously cook on that little tiny hob and get the kettles out and go into the river for a wash. There was no toilet. I don't know. I don't even remember how the hell did we... Yeah, there was no bath. Yeah, there was only yeah, one yeah, little yeah. toilet in the caravan. So that was our childhood and we hadn't got anything. We had no money. We hadn't any other, in inverted commas, success or richness. But holy God, we were happy. And you know the gas thing is? Because there's only two years between us. And there's, there were probably like these sliding doors moments when we were kids where we could have been passing each other in the street and spittle as kids without even realizing. Why? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Every time I hear you speak, it's a different. It's a different aspect that you get because I suppose depending on the person that you're speaking to and what they tap into, it can be different. Um, but I do think that a lot of conversations on this particular podcast are about enriching the listener, giving them a nugget of something they can take with them and perhaps help them in their lives. And leadership can sometimes feel like this unattainable idea when, particularly for a lot of, a lot of people now, 
we are in a cost of living crisis. People are struggling to to just get bills paid and, and get by, cover the mortgage, whatever the case may be. So the idea of maybe leadership to them might feel like it's 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 a million miles away. But I love how you break it down and actually explain that we can all be leaders, regardless of how much money we have in our bank accounts. We can still lead in our own lives. Well, I love you positively challenged me in that, Sheila, but, and let's keep it real here. And you're dead right. So I wouldn't trivialise the people listening in that maybe they're massively struggling in life. Or maybe they've just got a little bit of struggle. Maybe as a kid that is unwell. Maybe they're struggling to make ends meet. Maybe they're in a major job, by the way, on a lot of money. But they're struggling. Mm. Uh, perhaps they're, they're really thinking about their purpose in life. So l- let's be empathic of whatever their challenges and tribulations are. What I know for sure, I know for sure that if they work on their little simple leadership skills every day, it makes life a lot easier. So I don't wish for them that their challenges go away. I don't wish for me, by the way, my challenges go away in the next 25 years. I wish that I have the armory to deal with the challenges. The amazing uh, Katrina study speaks with that concept of emotional fitness in, in Commit the Lead. Mary Collins talks about that idea of self-care. Self-care and emotional fitness are part of self-leadership. Mm. So if I look after myself a little bit better every day and not do that only with me, but try and do that with family and friends as well. So if I'm better at that, then I'm going to navigate better the turbulent waters that lie ahead. And unfortunately, not only is the turbulent waters ahead, but there's also big opportunities ahead for all of us. And have we not all got one big thing in common that we want to genuinely thrive in life or maybe flourish in life? And for me, that's not about how many Insta followers we've got or how much money we've got in the bank. I think the next luxury is our health and well-being. The next luxury is that our health and well-being, please be to God, we're able to live into our 70s and our 80s and have that's our whole adult lives so we're lucky enough to be mentally, physically, emotionally well. Mm. And if we have that, that's a luxury. That's more important than the billionaires we work with that have got unbelievable amount of money. Yeah. But maybe they're emotionally bankrupt. And unfortunately, I've had to work with lots of people like that. Premier League players, that they are mega bucks. It's actually embarrassing. They're picking you up in a yellow Lamborghini. Mm. But you look into their eyes, they're not happy. So, so success for me is zero to do with how much money you've got. Once you can pay the bills and raise your kids and pay for your family and friends and a basic lifestyle. After that, the research tells us about the other things in life that make us happy. Are we aligned with our purpose? Are we doing something every day assigned to our strengths? Are we doing something that we're incredibly passionate about? I, I'm a bit like you, Sheila. I'm unbelievably passionate about what I do for a living. My good friend in life is the associate director globally of Riverdance, Patrick Moyles, and he says he never worked a day in his life. Mm. I, I literally can't say that I've worked a day in my life because I love what I do, and I would nudge everybody else to think about that. Is what you're doing today what you love doing, or could you course correct in the next couple of years and reskill yourself and reboot yourself? Like another amazing man in the west of Ireland challenged me on 15 years ago. He says, "Enda, Patrick O'Keeja, living very close mm. to you there in Barna." Yeah, roaring. Unbelievable. Yeah. Podrick said to me 15 years ago, Andy, you're going to have to reinvent yourself every two years. And I'd say to Podrick now, I'd have to challenge him and say that we would now, I think we have to reinvent ourselves every year. Okay, now I want to stay with this. So is it about going back to the drawing board all the time and kind of going tweak, 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 tweak? Yes, because you mentioned earlier about COVID. We've all had to transform ourselves in COVID. Every moment yeah. in the world, Mary Collins in Commit the Lead speaks about she was the headmistress of her own homeschool. So every single one of us in COVID have had to significantly reinvent ourselves. Yeah. And that was okay. We've all got through it. I know a lot of tragedy was caused by that. I'm not belittling that. But we all had to find a new way. We all had to park the car up. We all had to sit at home with our family. We all had to figure a way to exercise and not go to the gym. So we've all had to reinvent ourselves during that two and a half year period. Yeah. Every every little kid that's leaving national school and going to secondary school, they're reinventing themselves. Every mummy that is just after having a baby, is that not reinventing herself? Every uh, young daddy that hopefully is responsible, is that not reinventing himself? So I, I think life's full of reinvention, but I would encourage our listeners to go with it, to swim with mm. the current. Don't mm. be going against it. And this is, I suppose, the difference between somebody with a fixed mindset and somebody who's more willing to move with it and grow with it. Um, do you see a lot of that 
dealing with people that some people are just rigid and unable to bend? I've been rigid in my past. Okay. Uh, some areas I'm still a bit rigid and I'll give you a good example. I, I was meeting a good friend of mine last night who's going through a really, really difficult time. Him and his wife, just horrendously difficult. And I went to meet him at his house and his wee kids were there and I was having the crack and the phone with his wee kids, wee girl and a wee boy. Then a bit of football with them, then doing a bit of basketball with them, then, you know, doing high fives, trying to do something to, to engage the little kids. And he puts on the music and he, he breaks into dance and he starts to dance and the wee fella starts to dance. Now, most Gaelic footballers that think they're tough, we wouldn't have great rhythm, right? So for me, fixed is, I, I should have jumped in and just said, what the hell, there's nobody around, should, you know, I can look stupid. So still a little bit fixed in some ways like that. As a musician, I would be very little in terms of music, musical skills. But even the West of Ireland as a kid, I was fascinated by the uh, the traditional music genre and, and watching Matt Malloy and listening to him playing the flute in that amazing little bar in Westport. Yeah. So at the start of lockdown, I knew how to fix my mindset about music. So I said, I'm going to learn a musical instrument. Okay. And I'm still unbelievably, shockingly bad. <laughs> What did you learn? The drum. And right, if, okay. if your listeners listening to me, it's <laughs> shocking. My wife, Julia, laughs and giggles at me when I bring that little practice pad out on the couch at night. But it's magic. So it's an electronic pad? Not even. It? Not even. It's, it's, like, it's like hitting that... Okay. It's that, okay. it's that basic. It's literally right. with two drumsticks. And I mean, if your listeners can hear that, it's that bloody basic. <laughs> right? And then I've got my little... Uh, I, I can't even do the rhythm. That's how bad I am. But it's mental medicine. Yeah. Because when you're getting lost and even trying to work on that new skill, uh, it's incredibly good because it gets you lost in the moment. And I think that's, isn't that where real happiness, happiness can only happen in the moment. Mm. Happiness can't happen. And it took me 25 years to figure that out. Happiness can't happen what I'm going to do in 30 years time or when, what happens when you finish that beautiful house. Happiness is in the moment. What, what's happening here and now mm. in the middle of the moment? Are you self-deprecating as a person? Because you seem to be... You know, you like I know you're saying it maybe playfully, but you're you know you're you're kind of putting yourself down there about the drums and and a few comments along <laughs> no, the way. No, despite the fact that you said that before you came here, you were doing affirmations. So do you have to work on, I suppose, injecting positivity into your mind? I'd say at 14 years of age, I remember vividly being on the school bus, heading into Newry, uh, British soldiers maybe on the left hand side of the road in the way in, or maybe a police barricade in the way in. I remember something coming into my head that, Indy, you can work on your inner game. My dad gave me a book when I was 14 about the inner game of tennis. Oh, yeah. And I read that book, and the book probably inspired me to work on my inner game. What was I doing with my mind, never mind what I was doing with my body? So I've worked on that my whole life, really, as I said this morning, even in the Phoenix Park, working on that, even on my way in today, deciding what narrative I have myself. I'm really, really aware of the importance of that. And I've worked on it so relentlessly now that I think my confidence levels, my resilience levels, my mental toughness, I can deal with a lot of things. I don't mean in a blase way. I've had to work very hard at that. Yeah. But I still have to increase that. Uh, and I encourage everybody to work on that a little bit every day. And I don't mean in a macho way. I mean actually in a soft way. So that if somebody makes a comment to them in the bar about their dress... Or somebody makes a comment about oh on Instagram about you know I can't believe how bad you look in that and there's always going to be those people that for whatever reason they want to drag you down a bit. Let's mm. be honest. Yeah, yeah. There's always those people. I've got incredibly good now choosing how I respond to those people, and that's the essence of resilience. That's the essence of grit, and that's the essence of mental toughness. That you're in control of how you respond to the particular activity. You're in control of how you respond to that event you can't control the event but we thanks be to God we can absolutely choose how we respond to the event so you're not reactive you, you're responding Mary yeah. Collins speaks about rather than reacting respond yeah. don't react no matter what because they say sometimes you know even for those who ha do work and continue to work on themselves and I suppose I'm, I'm really I'm just speaking about myself um, there are times and it happens probably more often than I'd like I go into you know, reactive mode, which is automatic and a bit primal or feral or reptilian brain, whatever you want to call it, rather than the going to take a pause, going to take a breath. Then I'm going to choose whether I'm going to respond or not. And often, particularly 
if you're sleep deprived or whatever it might be, um, I slip into the old me, which is react. And, I'm, and, I, and I want, I want, I'm like, no, but there is, but that's A, and I want to get to B, you know, and it's, you're in it and you've done the thing. And in that second, you're going, oh, I know it's the classic, you know, if you know better, you do better. Um, I suppose it's practice. You get better at with practice, do you? I love it. I love the way you're saying it's practice. I think meditation is a meta skill. So having sat down with a Buddhist monk in Japan in his temple at 75 years of age and for him to try and get across through an interpreter the essence of meditation and to hear him saying that meditation is a meta skill. This happened to me in 2007. I was over at the World Athletics Championship and I asked the organizing committee, can you please find a Buddhist monk in the temple? I really want to go and experience it. I read about it my whole life, but I want to go and experience it. And they said, no, no, uh, in the sun, in the sun, no, 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 <laughs> not, not around anymore. Very traditional, in the sun, no, no, no. So I kept at it, persistent, and eventually they found a Buddhist monk. And the Buddhist monk asked the question how much do you practice back to Sheila's point how much do you practice yeah. and I said well you know maybe three four times a week no but hold on be specific with me and never forget him challenge me through the interpreter when do you do it I said oh, maybe sometimes before I play a big game before I go on stage before I go on TV no 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 hold on what do you do in the morning and the sun mm. so I was thinking yeah well I go to the gym or go running or I maybe eat a good breakfast no no but how do you wash your hands in the morning so when you wash your hands in a mindful way, when you wash your face, and every single one of our listeners can do these basic things, mm -hmm. that all these basic things, like meditating in the morning, leaves us then with an inner state that's much calmer. So we respond then and don't react as much. I still, by the way, lots of times at work and in my personal life, I'll fly off the handle, absolutely still, but I'm getting better. Yeah. And when the handle's halfway off, then take three breaths. Because a fighter pilot that I met in North America going on a course maybe 20 years ago, he said that he was from the Blue Angels, elite of the elite high performance. And he said that what he did before he ever got near the plane was he focused on his breathing, deep focused breathing in a relaxed way. So no matter what happened then in those battle and combat scenarios in those elite fighter jets, that his breathing allowed him to control his emotions. So you asked me earlier about Ireland rugby. One of the things he worked incredibly hard on was working on the breath as a means to, to really control the emotions. And if we can control our emotions, we control the show. Mm. And if we can get in the right emotional state, whether it's at home, whether it's in our community, whether it's in our nights out, lots of times on nights out with loads of people, whether it's a wedding or friends or whatever it is, I get in the right emotional state before I walk in the door. Because I know in that bar or in that restaurant or in that nightclub, somebody's going to want to have a pop at you. Right. And they always want to have a pop. By the way, that's not that there's anything wrong with them having a pop. That's always for me more interesting what's going on in their head and heart if they want to have a pop at you. But I still want, still I want to be better at handling that. That I, I'm able to say that's a very interesting comment. Thank you for sharing that. And do you experience a lot of that? Yes, absolutely. Do you? Of course. It, recently, we had the commit the lead even book launch in the Mansion House, and we had one in in the north. Of course, you experience it. Right. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, it is okay. Um, but that's interesting. You're reminding me of a conversation I had with um Ray Goggins former army ranger and I asked him you know what is the most important thing and for him you know exactly what really he's mirroring what, what you've just been saying that staying calm is the most powerful place to be it's, it's you know essentially I think he described it as a superpower calm's contagious yeah so the more contagious like Shackleton as an example of that no matter how bleak things looked in the Antarctic way back in the early 1900s staying dead calm Probably a really great example is that lady Siobhan Walsh. She lost 30 of her bloody uh, colleagues in Turkey and Syria. And yet two weeks ago, I saw her walk on stage, the personification of Cam. Mm. If you looked at her eyes, you go, that, that lady is dead Cam. It's like looking into your eyes now, you're dead Cam. Mm. So so I think Cam is contagious. Now, I have to work unbelievably hard at that. But you see, it's interesting you say that because I am Cam right now, but I'm also thinking of myself maybe yesterday morning trying to get my kids out the door and my five and a half year old is refusing to put on his uniform 
and brush his teeth and I'm looking at the watch and the baby needs to have a nappy to change and I'm like we just need to get out the door and then I'm trying I'm having that inner dialogue of stay calm stay calm stay calm and unfortunately that is the, that is the case for a lot of people because kids are pushing boundaries it's completely normal developmental and even though I know that <laughs> I know it's completely normal there is a part of you that just wants them to cooperate and I can feel my 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 body temperature rising I can feel the old stuff in me fighting to get out and I'm fighting against you know snapping basically being cross and I think you know, it's it's about those buttons being pressed. And it's the classic, and I've spoken with this so many times, a lot of us are crisis meditators. We think we're going, we think we're fine, and then we hit a stumbling block, and it's, oh no, I, now I need to meditate. But actually, what we all need to be doing is tipping away at it. And, and it, it, then it becomes like a well-oiled machine that when you hit those stumbling blocks, that's when it comes into play, and you can respond instead of reacting. Uh, my... My father's old friend that I mentioned before, uh, Hank McCran, I think he was a clinical psychologist and he worked with a lot of people with trauma mm. for 50 years of his life. And interestingly, he learned after many years, my dad told me this story, I'd spent a lot of time with Hank down in Spittle, that when the people had particularly traumatic lives, he would sit down and meditate them for 20 minutes, 30 minutes before he said anything. Oh, wow. And in all the coaching sessions I've had with women, imagine if you're sitting down at a coaching session with a young lady who's leading a global organization, and when you shake hands with her and hug her, you can actually feel her tears falling down the back of your neck because of what's going on in her life and her stress and her worry and her anxiety and so on. And rather than, because my earlier self would have tried to coach her, a mentor or a guide or write a roadmap for her, uh, give her, you know, coaching points, practical coaching points, and you mentioned that earlier, Sheila. But after a huge amount of trial and error and thousands of hours of coaching experience, you realize, don't even think about coaching that lady. Don't even think about mentoring her. Don't even think about giving her advice because she's not able to listen to it. Yeah. Start off with calming her down. Start off with her maybe taking three weeks to calm herself down. Mm. And then, because ultimately if she looks after herself and has that self-care, then she or he are in a position whereby they're ready to listen. And we can't coach or teach or mentor or guide or inspire somebody who isn't ready. So tying that back to the Buddhist monk in Japan, when I was there asking him for advice, I'll never forget his wife. The longest day I live, I'll never forget his wife. Because she was pouring me tea in this beautiful ornate little Japanese table with this beautiful little Japanese tree in the middle of the table. I can't remember what the name of those are. And she was pouring the tea and I was thinking, this tea is close to the top. It must be going to stop now. And she kept pouring and pouring and my notebook was beside the pot and the the tea was dripping off the pot onto the table, onto my notebook, onto the floor and she kept pouring and pouring and I was... I didn't want my bad manners saying, uh, excuse me, Mrs. The tea. Yeah. And he says, you've got a full cup. You, th you think you know a lot. I'll only start to work with you if you've moved towards a beginner's mindset. Okay. So linking that back to what you said earlier on about me and leadership and our listeners and leadership, if you've a beginner's mindset, isn't life a lot more fun? You mentioned about you and the kids in the morning. I can't tell you anything about I have not had kids yet. Please, but God, me and Julie in the next six months of kids. So mm. I, I don't know is the answer to that, Sheila. What I do know is I'm getting more and more comfortable with saying, I don't know. Yeah. And isn't life more fun yeah. at a dinner party if you're sitting down with your mates going, how the hell do you do that on Instagram? Tell me, I have no clue, by the way, how to do an Instagram better. Yours is about a million times better than mine. But my wife, Julia, would say, and that, that And mine stupid. needs a lot of work. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I don't know. So... Isn't, yeah. isn't life a bit more fun if you say to your mates, I haven't got a clue, tell me. What yeah. do you work at? What yeah. do you do? Yeah. Rather than, let me tell you how good I am at A, B or C. I think that's actually boring. Who was it said? Was it Oscar Wilde who said, there's nothing more boring than talking about myself? I've probably done that too much in this podcast. You haven't. I was looking forward to talking to you, but this has far exceeded any idea or expectation I may have had. Not that I had an expectation, but... um. I've really enjoyed it. And I mean that really sincerely. Um, I've heard you speak many times and, you know, you offer something new all the time. But I suppose it feels like even though this is a podcast for everyone to listen to, I feel like it's turned into a personal coaching session. <laughs> <laughs> was so positive. I'm, so I'm very grateful. So you were asking me earlier, Sheila, and rightly so, you're saying, and come on, let's make this practical. 
Would you believe that the elite of the elite performers, I'm talking about female actors, I'm talking about literally the rock stars you've been lucky enough to have met, I'm talking about the elite uh, performers in sport, I'm talking about maybe an amazing surgeon, I'm talking about somebody who's a global CEO, it's the basics. Get the basics right, and on top of the basics we build everything else. Mm -hmm. So when you do that, then you're in a position to lead teams. A very simple model. Lead yourself lead at home, lead in the community, lead your team and lead your organisation and therefore hopefully lead in humanity. Before I let you go, can I ask you, because um, I mean, fear is a player in all our lives. It's a natural response sometimes to a situation. But <laughs> do you have something in particular that you're afraid of or that frightens you? I'd say loads. I was, yeah. doing, I was doing, talking about the West of Ireland, I was doing a session probably 10 years ago at a global company. We brought them in for three days to talk about confidence and fear and mental toughness and, you know, confronting your fears and life and all the above. And we had brilliant three days and the feedback was brilliant. And they all went off and the the adventurers and the, let's say, the adventure coaches that was with us said, come on, we'll go and do our own half day ourselves without having the clients around, which is always a, a big treat. So we're down in Mayo and Lanan in Delphi oh, yeah, down lovely, there. Yeah. I'm a very poor swimmer. I nearly drowned as a little kid. So oh, right, okay. uh, I'm, I'm a shockingly bad swimmer as well. So they said, come on, Amanda, let's let's see how good you are. So they brought me to the top of the cliff and said, now, come on, jump in here. Okay. So one of the things that I'm unbelievably afraid about is deep water for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah, of course. And they said, well, and you cannot preach this stuff. And I jump in. And for me, that's the epitome of leadership. You can't talk about it. You have to be about it. So, of course, I had to jump in. Oh, did you? <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm, I'm unbelievably afraid of water. I'm a very bad swimmer. I'm going to try and get better at it. So that's one of the things I'm afraid of. But you but you jumped in? Absolutely. You have to go. Because that's it's exhilarating. It's, wow. it's exhilarating to jump in and do the thing that you Feel the fear. Yeah. Do it anyway. And that was exactly because I was saying that to them all week. You know, feel the fear, go and do that in business, Take, make that bloody call, step up to that role, that uh, female leader, step up and take that international role. What the hell can go wrong? You know, uh, confront that bully of a boss, sit them, sit them down now, close the door nice and quietly, just whisper in them, that's the end of that, you don't be bullying me anymore. I was saying all those things, all those lovely messages. So this instructor who'd been with me for the previous three days said, now come on in huh? let's see, let's see about you. Yeah, so yeah. that's probably a good example for our listeners. If we really confront the thing, I think that amazing female gymnast, uh, Nadia Komaneshki, got a perfect 10 in the Olympics way back in 1976. Amazing young female gymnast. And she said that everybody in life has fears, but it's unbelievably empowering to dance and run all over the top of them. I'm getting better at that. I'm getting better at what the hell. Let's take it on. Because one of my, what is my greatest fear? My greatest fear is getting to 90 years of age and going, I could have been better. I could have made a bigger impact. I could have achieved more. I could have made a difference to that person. I could have confronted that bloody bully. I could have said to that person, that's not the way we do things around here. I could have inspired another young uh, gentleman. I could have inspired another young lady, whatever it is. That's my greatest fear. I think that's where we'll wrap it up. Um, What a conversation. Thank you. The book is Commit to Lead. And I think there'll be a lot of people running out to buy it after this chat. Um, Thank you so much. What a pleasure. Who knew back to spittle serendipity? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to chat to you more about this and then we turn off the mics. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like the conversations I had with Professor Ian Robertson on confidence and the one I recorded with former Army Ranger Ray Goggins. Thanks so much for listening to Ready To Be Real. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.